Oh, welcome everyone. Today we record the third episode of our podcast, CV Spachem. And I'm Dimitri. And I'm Vava. And we welcome you to the next episode. Oh, we have a lot of topics to, disc- uh, to cover today. Uh, we start uh, with impeachment procedure in the United States and its impact on, internet, uh, on national security of the US. And the next topic is uh, the meeting of uh, um, foreign ministers of NATO countries. Yes, mm-hmm. and the meeting in Brussels... I think since which sends an important message to President Macron. Exactly. And lastly, we would like to take a minute to take a look at the 2020 Index of U.S. Military Strength by the Heritage Foundation, which analyzes the, uh, well, as the name suggests, the capabilities of the U.S. Army as they are today. Yes, it's very important in terms of um, great power competition in modern uh, system of international yeah, relations. Yeah, very fast-changing dyna- dynamics of the international so, system right now. Yes, let's jump uh, straight into the podcast. Let's do this. So, on the first topic, this uh, has uh, has a, signif- a significant uh, historical meaning, I guess, for all of us. It's impeachment procedure that's taking place uh, into the House of Representatives in the U.S., uh, historical case, the third uh, impeachment procedure in the United States history um, that is connected, as you all I guess know, uh, to Ukraine and President Zelensky and the idea that Trump uh, basically wanted to manipulate a Ukrainian president in order to get uh, some dirt on uh, Biden. Uh, so, well, what's, what do you think about that? And Well, it's an interesting case because it's... Uh the first impeachment proceeding where a, basically a domestic U.S. issue becomes international and our agents are involved. So in this case, Ukraine. What do you think about Ukraine's involvement in impeachment? It sounds pretty surreal when you hear about it. Yes, I, uh, I, a little bit, I guess. Um, and just the whole notion, as you as you notice, that uh, it is very connected to like other like uh, other states. Is connected to Ukraine, and uh, but the whole impeachment procedure, I guess, is very interesting. It, uh, I guess, it's it's worth like the whole you know, episode uh, for discussion. But uh, I, guess, I, I just want to say that uh, the procedure is so important because it can change the trans behavior in international arena. Uh, as you all know, uh, I mean, uh, in order to shift uh, public's attention from uh, his his own problems to something else, for example. So what's interesting is the fact that even though Trump did not get impeached yet, the impeachment process itself influences the U.S. foreign policy. Yes, in uh, in many ways. For example, he can be more courageous, you know, uh, in uh, Iran's policy and take some, you know, military actions and steps in order to escalate situation. For example, um, this can be one prediction. Um, uh, what do you think about that? Well, Iran is totally a uh, totally different topic, especially <laughs> yes, uh, considering yes. what's going on right now. Which uh, is another topic for Which discussion. is a completely <laughs> another topic and also worth for an entire episode. Yes. Um, uh, well, but yeah, it's quite often known for uh, politicians who have domestic issues to uh, to cover it up with some louder and more important uh, foreign uh, issue. Uh, well, Ukraine and Vladimir Putin is one of the prime examples. Yeah, um, I guess it's very important to notice that um, uh, a lot of things going on in Ukraine right now, and in terms of U- Ukrainian foreign policy, um, uh, Vladimir Zelensky has uh, like a new president of Ukraine has like this plan to end the war in the east. Yeah, um, and there probably going to be some summit 
of foreign ministers of uh, Russia, Germany, uh, Ukraine, uh, and so on, and France, in order to somehow solve this problem. And I guess it's very extremely important that uh, President Zelensky has uh, this um, kind of support from American president, and symbolic support, uh, and military support as well. And I guess it's just the whole notion of... Uh, of uh, how, so how how uh, American foreign policy towards Ukraine look like, and what do they want to get from Ukraine, and uh, just as like geopolitical question, you know. So would you say it is in Zelensky's interest to uh, for Trump not to be impeached? Is it is it in his interest, or doesn't it really matter for him? Will he get the support of the U.S. anyway? Whatever happens. I guess like the people saying right now is just saying not, I'm not involved into this. A lot of people are asked about like what's your attitude to this impeachment procedure and like for example, in, uh, General Sec uh, Secretary of uh, NATO and Stonebelt, they also he's like constantly asked about that and he and he, he he replies um, all the time that you know I don't know I don't want to be involved into like this in, in, in internal procedure, but um, I guess. Uh, uh, the thing that happened and this uh, conversation that was leaked uh, uh, early in the press, I guess it's just, uh, I guess outrageously, I, I guess the, the, you, you could see some, uh, you could see some uh, involvement here and you could see the uh, so-called uh, quid pro quo like demands of Donald Trump. And uh, let's see how it goes. Yeah, I guess it's a very important topic because, like first, as I mentioned, it can pretty much impact uh, the behavior of American pre president on international arena. Um, and second, because it's so important now uh, with the new president of Ukraine, you know, to stabilize some sort of relations between uh, Ukraine and Russia, to have this kind of like uh, president endorsement. And I guess uh, he could not get it now because like it's just a mess. All the situation with the aid that's still on hold. Uh, so let's see how it goes. We will yeah. for sure. Uh, it's another topic that uh, we're going to discuss in future episodes. Yeah. Yes, we will for sure. But for now, I think we can move on to the next topic. Yes, let's move to the next topic. And our next topic. Uh, I guess it's in continuation to our like last coverage of uh, President Macron uh, address to like Europeans and to the world in general. It's uh, the the meeting of um, foreign ministers of foreign foreign ministers of NATO countries. Um, and so, well, what's what's going on there? Well, why why do they meet and what do they discuss? Well, basically, many people say that this gathering was a direct response to what President Macron said. I might I remind you that he said uh, that basically NATO is useless nowadays and it's brain dead. It's his words. Yeah. And well, basically, uh, Mr. Jens Stoltenberg, he replied to him saying, no, it's not. And America is not abandoning Europe, that we're ever increasing our presence here. And that stability in Europe is also in our uh, in our business. It's our business yes. as well. Yes, I guess um, uh, Macron that is like pushing this idea of uh, kind of independent European uh, foreign policy and kind of uh, that it couldn't uh, anymore rely on uh, American force and American support, so to speak. Um, it, it gets some continuation because I mean this uh, summit is response uh, in a degree that. Uh, 
we we kind of, I mean we they have I guess NATO has some problems and you know they try to address it because France is still very important player in in Europe in in European security and not only European security. Um, so uh, what do you think, Vava, about uh, this uh, this response to Macron? Well, first of all. Uh Let's remember that mm, French role in NATO was always a bit different from other countries. As we all know from history, France already withdrew from NATO yes, structures yes, once. Yes. So they have always been like on yeah. the fence of NATO. And maybe it's just a continuation of the same policy. Maybe France has their own agenda to push. But overall, I think for now, it's still in their interest to remain a part of NATO. Yes, I... Um Definitely, I don't think that there's some ideas about quitting NATO going on. I guess it's just like um, uh, the idea to shape some sort of like common military uh, agenda for the whole Europe to create like uh, united some European forces that could operate independently from uh, NATO, which is very hard to probably do uh, in terms of like facilities and how it's so like a NATO process works um, in military terms. Yeah, I think this, there's many politicians in Europe uh, who are skeptical towards NATO right now, and they will be more for sort of a European army. Uh, from my uh, experience, as someone from Poland, there was a very, um, was a very uh, viral speech given in the parliament yeah. by the leader of one of the leftist parties, which is basically being uh, reshown in TV all the time, where he mm-hmm. said to the prime minister, Mr. Prime Minister, if you want to rely on the U.S. as your main ally and turn your back on Europe, just look at the Kurds, what's going on. Yeah, I guess uh, that's the main point. And uh, Macron criticized like, uh, specifically Article 5 of uh, treaty Yeah. Uh, in terms of like this uh, common defense. Because uh, if you couldn't rely on American strength, you couldn't rely on American support in, in, uh, if crisis, some crisis occurs or some crisis happens. I mean, you could basically... Um, and if you don't have your own forces, you pretty much end up in a situation without any support and you have to somehow rely on forces, on European forces um, in particular. Um, what is also interesting about this meeting is that, well, it's not directly related to what we're talking about right now with President Macron, but NATO also declared space as area for warfare. Next to land, naval, and air battles, uh, they said that space is also a military, military area of operations. Even though they said that they're not going to place any weaponry in space, but they recognized the need of um, using satellite communication and yes, space-based technology for military purposes. That's, I guess, very interesting uh, in, in terms of security, because it basically changes uh, some status quo that, that was established. Um, uh, back in 20th century and everything can change and we see this like power competition going on in the space domain yes and you never know where this like uh, gonna get you you know perhaps this will be the first step in militarization of space who knows yeah uh, I mean uh, as as, uh, I read somewhere like uh, as you know like uh, the United States created space force Yes, yes some, they uh, Many countries some, are right now. Yes, commentary, if you have Space Force, 
so we have some military in the space. So what's what's the, why do you need space force without army in the space? I mean, this. Well, right now the U.S. space force is mostly tasked with supervising military intelligence satellites. Yes, yes, and also f destruction of enemy satellites, which is nothing new. The U.S. Air Force was equipped with. Uh, anti-satellite missiles already during the Cold War in the 70s, which were never used, of course. Uh, but they are there, so the idea of space warfare is nothing new, but yeah, now so they have a special institution for it. Yes, and I guess it's another actor which really wants some money and some funding in order to do something um, in, in space. Yeah. So... That's another topic. I guess we dedicate uh, another podcast to this yes, topic. Yes, I'm sure we will. To space and uh, security stuff that is going on in space. So now we've reached our last topic for today. Yes, we would like to discuss the 2020 Index of U.S. Military Strength published by the Heritage Foundation. It's a very interesting publication because as far as I know, it's the only uh, American independent report on the state of the U.S. military. So it's not just a government yes. propaganda outlet, but a an relatively objective source of information. And more importantly, it just assesses uh, like the goals that were put in uh, military doctrine that was issued in uh, 2018 by, Ministry of Def uh, by uh, Secretary of Defense. And this is just important to understand whether the United States, uh, the U.S., has the cap capabilities to, you know, reach the goals that were expressed there and that you see, like, in the world. Well, yes, uh, and this uh, publication I would recommend to anyone interested uh, in security studies. It covers basically any, uh, the topic of any potential yes, fall of the U.S. in the world. And assesses the capabilities of the U.S. military, all branches of it, pretty pretty uh, extensively. Uh, so, what do we get from this uh, report? First of all, uh, I would say that the most important thing is that the authors say that the idea that the U.S. should be able to conduct, to be um, part of two major conflicts, regional conflicts as they call them, major regional mm -hmm. conventional contingencies. Yeah. Uh, this is the policy of the U.S. that they should be able to take part in two major conflicts in the world, and that's the standard for which the yeah. military must be prepared. And even though the report is generally positive about the state of the U.S. military, uh, they say that it may not be possible for modern times to take part in two major conflicts at the same time. Yeah, and I guess it's very interesting if we, if you take into consideration just this idea that uh, the uh, Russia and China are forming some kind of uh, military alliance, or if you don't want to frame it like this, like in 19th century, like military terms, but some sort of like uh, military cooperation is, de uh, is definitely going on between countries. Mm, you can see this probably the U.S., uh, uh, won't be capable to, you know, to wage two wars at the same time. And what's more, there's mm, potentially there's more than two conflicts in which U.S. could be, uh, yes, uh, could you, be involved at the see. same time. Just just take the three most important ones: uh, Ukraine, uh, the Middle East, and China slash Asia. Yes, and uh, the most it's I guess like the idea that the U the U.S. I mean, if some con conflict between uh, China and Russia uh, ha like uh, happens, the U.S. has to defend, you know, to in ha has to has to have like some capabilities, like great cap capabilities in two regions, in Europe and Asia at the same time, which I guess is like very very challenging and uh, definitely requires uh, a lot of funding 
and uh, a lot of uh, capabilities on the ground. Yes. Um, what's also interesting about the report is that they give certain numbers that they recommend for the US to have in terms of numbers of the military. So they, the experts here recommend that the army should be able to field 50 brigade combat teams, the so-called BCTs. Mm -hmm. In terms of the Navy, it should be able to field 400 battle force ships and 624 aircraft, yeah. strike aircraft, not just transportation, refueling, yeah. it should be strike aircraft. For the Air Force, it should be 1,200 fighter slash ground attack aircraft. And in terms of the Marine Corps, they suggest 36 battalions. And it sounds like a very formidable force to field. And it must be noted that they recommend that this should be able to be deployed overseas. So additionally to this, there should be an standing army in the mainland and, U.S. to protect simultaneous the mainland U.S. Maintained and simultaneously, uh, so to speak, they should, they should, like the U.S. should be able to operate these forces, which yes. is so, also very important. Yeah, the logistics of it, it very, might be hard. And all, the aircraft, hard. all the aircraft that they state here, it's combat yes, aircraft. Especially it's very hard in Asia. Um, I mean, at least the, uh, the U.S. has some allies there that uh, it could rely on, but... I mean, still, it's very, very challenging. And probably, I mean, we can, you know, uh, just, so to speak, critical thinking and just uh, talk about all this idea whether the U.S. needs this policy or for great power competition, yeah. I guess, like, which is definitely a topic for another, probably the whole episode. Totally. Um, but still, you know, it requires a lot of capabilities and it just leads to this, uh, so to speak, security dilemma because any actions from the U.S. side uh, inevitably inevitably cause the actions from uh, like from Russia and uh, China and other players uh, in the international security field. Yes, and what's also interesting is that the report says that the U.S., uh, after the end of the Cold War, they mostly they refocused from great power competition mostly to terrorism fighting, which is a totally different thing. Totally different thing. Uh, and the authors point out uh, the fact many of the solutions for uh, great power competition are still solutions from the Cold War, especially in terms of the nuclear arsenal, which wasn't really modernized too oh, much. Oh, yes. That's, that's the big thing now. While Russia was modernizing, China was developing new uh, technologies, uh, the U.S. was a bit lacking behind, but yeah. they're catching up slowly. And this is also a prominent issue in the U.S. Navy and U.S. Air Force. The U.S. Air Force, for example, uh, they have some formidable aircraft, uh, but, well, the workhorse of the Air Force is the F-16, which is a very old design from the 70s. Uh, for the Navy, uh, for example, in terms of aircraft carriers, they still yeah. rely on the Nimitz class, which is also a, a Cold pretty, War pretty, uh, yeah, Cold design. War. So the authors say that the situation should improve when the Jolt Ford class carriers are introduced and when the uh, new F-35s come yeah. to service. But it still needs time uh, to well to be to, yeah to make it operational. To get better, yes. Yes, I guess uh, the most threatening uh, the most like threatening issue for the U.S. is probably Chinese. Uh, military modernization so to speak and it's also important topic if you I mean if you want to spend more money on nuclear stuff it's probably to deter Russia not China because China has a formidably small nuclear arsenal and doesn't I mean it still it modernizes it but I mean it's not the same it's not up, up par to uh, the US uh, capabilities and, and Russian capabilities yes in my opinion in order to tackle China naval power is the key and which is, uh, requires uh, even more funding and even more 
Yes, this is true. Financial. Well, China has been building up a navy. They've been building yeah. uh, aircraft carriers. And well, because the seas are basically their uh, life source. Commercial trade routes. Yes, exactly. most of the trade going out from China goes from naval ways. So and a naval brocade is something that they need to uh, to omit at all costs. Yes, this is very, I guess it's like the most uh, critical challenge, I guess, like to the US superiority is like uh, the challenge in Asia. Because you see the development, the, the Chinese development, and the pace of Chinese development, and you, I mean, you cannot like um, just uh, like uh, you can get straight to the point and just say that uh, it's it's a uh, astonishingly big challenge. Like, yes, yeah, so American security. As we said, the buildup of the navy is aimed at China, definitely, and the buildup of the nuclear arsenal is aimed at Russia. Which again, you know, it takes uh, it's like two birds at the same time, you know, that you need to shoot, which is True. very, very difficult and requires a lot of uh, at the same time funding. And you know, you know that military budget of the US is, uh, is very, very big. Yes, it's, it's very um, interesting that tremendously uh, big. <laughs> yes. yes, the US uh, military forces are the largest in the world, they're just enormous, but still. They're not, they're not enough to uh, cover all the needs of U.S. foreign policy and the foreign uh, interests, yeah. which is really shocking that you can have such a military might and still not have enough. And uh, I guess uh, this Chinese-Russian uh, rapprochement is like causing uh, so many uh, worries like in Washington. Yeah, frictions, exactly. Um, yeah, because it's definitely a serious thing and it's definitely the thing they want to avoid at any cost. Uh, and I guess uh, at this uh, note, we're finishing our podcast for today. I guess it will uh, be. Thanks for listening uh, listening to us. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, subscribe to our Spotify channel. Please do. Uh, and SoundCloud channel. We, we're going to be published on uh, Apple Podcast, uh, pod- pod- podcast service, uh, I guess, in, in one week. And mm-hmm. uh, see you soon. Bye. We'll get back to you with new exciting topics.